Hello and welcome to this bonus special emergency edition of the Rabona podcast. I'm Ryan Hun, and I will be joined shortly by Ken Early of Second Captains and Irish Times. We hadn't planned to do a podcast this week due to us all travelling. However, after Liverpool's incredible comeback against Barcelona, luckily Ken very kindly agreed to join us to talk about the incredible game at Anfield. Just before we speak to Ken, a quick reminder, if you do listen on iTunes, please give us a rating and a review, preferably five stars. It really helps us grow the podcast. Also, many thanks to everyone who sent us some kind words about us reaching our 50th podcast. That went up on Monday. You can go back and listen to that now if you haven't already. But moving on to Liverpool against Barcelona, and I'm delighted to welcome back to the Rabona podcast from the Irish Times and second captains, the one and only Mr. Ken Early. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Ah, pretty good. Enjoying the Champions League. (laughs) I don't really know where to begin, so I'm just going to begin by saying never in doubt. (laughs) It's interesting interesting to hear Liverpool players say that, talk about how confident Jurgen Klopp was and how he kind of kept reassuring them this could actually happen. And the fact that he's able to make people believe he thinks stuff like that is a great gift, I think, of his. Mm. Um, Because realistically, mm, I mean, you could look at the first game and you say, well, actually, this was a very even game. You know, there was was chances there. They, They certainly should have scored at least one goal. Finishing wasn't great. Barcelona, you know, stuck away a couple of chances very nicely. But the fact of it is, when it's 3-0 and you're playing against a team that has Messi in it and they only need one to make you need five, you haven't really got much of a chance. And especially after this has all happened already. Barcelona have been through this last year. Hmm. It's not going to be the same again. It's They're not going to go out the same way again, is what you assume, which is why that result last night is... The greatest comeback in the in the history of Champions League two-legged ties. I mean, you know, there's a couple of others that you can think of. There's uh, one involving obviously Barcelona and PSG. There have been a few in in recent years. Actually, it is becoming a more regular occurrence. But in terms of the quality of the opposition, the stakes on the night, the the turnaround of the tie. I mean, the fact that Liverpool did this without two of their best attackers as well. You know, it's just. It's beyond belief. It is mind-blowing. It's completely mind-blowing. I think that it's a really weird psychology in the Champions League knockouts because obviously you can be 3-0 up in a tie and one goal can bring you back in it and completely switch the whole psychology of a game, of a tie. I don't want to roll out that huge cliche of Anfield on European nights, especially in the second leg, but it re- there really is some- something intangible there and I think that there's always been something intangible there. But with a manager like Klopp, I mean, you see- you've seen how much emotion that he can bring to a squad and a team and a club and he, how he did that at Mainz and he did that at Dortmund and he's really got Liverpool back there. I, was, I went back and watched his first press conference this morning for a piece that I'm trying to write about Klopp mm. and it's really interesting seeing what he said then, now because... Does, uh, every, can everybody please stop, stop talking about money all the time? We've got to go from being doubters to believers, all this kind of stuff. Yeah and it was just more like... Um, yeah, we're in a difficult moment, but please give us time. Please give us time. And it's a really special club and it's the perfect place for me. And I'm, I, you know, I just let me do my work. And I think that last season in the Champions League and definitely this season in the league in the Champions League, you're totally seeing that now. And it's a really hard thing to grasp, I think, because they're on paper, I don't really think they had a chance in the second leg. No. Well, I, I think that Jurgen Klopp is the greatest performance coach in 
the game right now. I don't know anyone who integrates systems and tactics and all of the kind of details and sort of nuts and bolts of how to actually put out a, a top-level football team in this era of football. All of the sort of details all of the technical and sort of scientific aspects, who does all that as well as he does, but who combines it with that charismatic ability to get his players into the right frame of mind to give the performance of their lives. Yeah, I don't know anyone else who does it. I mean, Guardiola is somebody who, in terms of the sophistication of how the team plays, there's nobody better than him in the world. But I don't think that he's got quite Klopp's ability to really transmit the frame of mind that you need to be in to play your best in these matches. Like, and you see often his teams give these weirdly neurotic performances in matches where everything is at stake. You know, the, for instance, I mean, what City have, have won, what is it, every match on, since like uh, February, except the match they lost away to Tottenham which mm. knocked them out of the Champions League. They somehow managed to get knocked out by a Tottenham team that's lost nine out of 15 matches. Mm. In the middle of this run, they knocked Manchester City out of the Champions League because City flubbed it. You know, their actual chance, they couldn't they couldn't give the performance that they knew they had in them. Whereas with Liverpool, we're seeing that. Sorry, there's a bit of um, some high-speed chase going on outside here <laughs> in the streets of Dublin. What Liverpool managed to do is is really nail it. And this has been a this has been a feature of Klopp. In fact, the only times that I can think of that his team hasn't nailed it in Europe is in the finals. Mm. But you know, the, the fact that he's got to the final of every European competition he's led Liverpool in since arriving at the club is you know a phenomenal record. And time and again, in these big moments when they've had to play um, difficult European ties, Manchester United, you know, Dortmund uh, last season it was Manchester City, uh, Roma this season Bayern and Barcelona, they've given, you know, epic performances. And if it was possible to explain how Jurgen Klopp is able to extract these performances time and time again, well, probably he wouldn't be the only one doing it. I do feel that the thing about Klopp is that he does everything. He does, you know, it's not a case of, oh, you know, the tactics are the most important thing or passion is the most important thing. Everything, it's all important, but nobody else does it to such a high level. Nobody else kind of brings the entire package together to the same in, in the same way that Jurgen Klopp does, I mean, you know, this is what this is his. This is what I mean. I think that game last night is like a is like a masterpiece. Yeah, you know I do. I mean? Yeah, as, as, you know, if you, if you look back in Klopp's career, however many years he goes, however many teams he manages, people will always talk about that game and say, "Well, you know," and that won't be. There's, there's a lot of other examples as well, but that is a career masterpiece. Yeah, definitely. And I think that what I was trying to kind of say before was, I think it's quite rare in in modern football at that level that you have a manager who's ma- who manages to, as you say, bring in everything into one package, even so much so that he's got the ball boys buying into it. You know, it's yeah. like, there was that amazing piece, I think it was Simon Hughes wrote a thing on the on the Independent yeah, uh, about how uh, the data analysis team at Liverpool had spotted how slow Barca were reacting to set pieces or how they were complaining and basically just weren't switched on. So much yeah. so that the ball boys got briefed on it ahead of the home leg and actually it was a, a specific ball boy who who thought very quickly and chucked the ball to Trent Alexander-Arnold but this is the thing this is something that you know he was someone that I would have loved to have had as Arsenal manager and when he was announced as Liverpool manager obviously now it's very easy to say that and there will obviously be some people who will say he hasn't won anything at Liverpool yet yeah. but I think it's more than that and I think that what he brings to a club he is so much more than just performance or 
trophies or success. It's just me and Moose were talking about this the other day on the podcast. There's not a lot of trophies going around. You can't win everything all the time. So football has to be about more than that. And I think he's one of these rare managers that can operate at that level. And whether they win or not, he brings something more to it, which is super rare. Well, that, 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 that ability to frame things, you know, which, which I think was evident in the first, the press conference he referred to, that his first one when he, when he arrived at Liverpool. There was a couple of things he said there. You know, I remember him saying, Could everyone, don't talk about money the whole time. Money doesn't actually decide everything. You know, there was there had been that sort of orthodoxy that, like, you know, Liverpool are they don't they they, they don't have the sort of um, commercial power you know, of Manchester United. They don't have uh, a backer like Manchester City or Chelsea. They can't compete. You know, they're they're kind of they're just outside that elite circle now of clubs that that can actually that can actually win and compete. And they've actually managed to get into that. They've got to the point now where it's you, you'd be surprised if they lost a player this summer. I mean, that was what happened, kept happening to Klopp at Dortmund. He couldn't ultimately uh, keep things going in the face of losing losing uh, you know one or two of the best players every season. Mm. You know, no matter how good you are at framing things positively and getting people to 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 think about what is possible here as opposed to what's going wrong. When, you know, Lewandowski goes to Bayern on a free, you can't compete with Bayern next year. You know, you, you just can't do it. So, but at Liverpool, he, he kind of had a bit of this situation with Coutinho. And I think that was another interesting moment. For instance, when, you know, when Coutinho left last year, Klopp said something like, you know, uh, there's quite a long statement from him where he talked about how he sort of tried to persuade Coutinho to stay and he'd said, no, don't go in the summer and then had kept him there. But then it, it became apparent Coutinho really wanted to go. So he was like, okay, you know, if you want to go, that's fine. It, it, he came out with a cheesy line, right? But it, it was like, you know, there's a lot of people out there that would like to buy the heart and soul of Liverpool Football Club, but unfortunately it's not for sale or something like this, mm. which was like absolute cheese and you can just imagine you know the fans of of yeah, other clubs just being uh, you know this guy like playing to the gallery like unbelievable but it was exactly what kind of what needed to be said you yeah. know it was exactly what what sort of liverpool fans needed to hear it was like you know don't worry we've lost a, uh, one of our best players but we're going to go on now what's happened with coutinho is really interesting because coutinho's gone to barcelona and has failed and is being absolutely massacred by the press there at the moment, it's scapegoated for this disaster that happened to them last night. But the question they don't seem to be asking themselves is why is it, how could Coutinho suddenly have gone from being so good, so good that they were desperate to give Liverpool £140 million in January for a player who couldn't even play in the Champions League mm. in the second half of the season for them? That's how desperate they were to get this guy because I, I guess, you know, otherwise he's going to go to the World Cup and his value is only going to skyrocket even more. So we better sign him now. That's how highly they rated it. And now apparently he can't kick so off a rope. Okay, well, what's happened there? I mean, if you read the Spanish media today, you'll see them say, this guy doesn't have a character to play for a big club. He's signed his own death warrant. You know, Coutinho, go. You've, you've got to go. There's no way back for you now, right? But why? How can it be that a player who was so good 18 months ago is so bad now? And the answer is because he's not the only player on the field. You have to look at how a player performs in the context of the team that they're in. This is what Jurgen Klopp is really good at doing. Yeah. This is what Jurgen Klopp is really good at doing. Understanding how a player can fit into a system of play that play, that, that enables him to, to show off all his strengths and minimizes his weaknesses with support from his teammates. Mm. So you had Coutinho playing with guys like Mane, Firmino, Salah, 
really fast, really quick, hardworking players with a lot of speed, a lot of energy, which he doesn't really have. Mm. What he's got is, is quality on the ball. Now you put him in a team in Barcelona where you've got Messi, doesn't run. Suarez, doesn't run. Busquets, doesn't run. Right, these players are all too important to run now. They're too senior. They're too important. They've won too many prizes to run. Now, it's okay if you've got one player like that. I mean, you don't understand Messi. Like, Barcelona are not going to tell Messi, right, you've got to run yourself in the ground, press and hurry and chase for 90 minutes. Of course not. That would be insane. It's okay for him to lurk and conserve energy and use it in the, in the important moments. And he did that. He did that last night. You know, he set up... Uh, the, the chance for Suarez, a one-on-one, was yeah. missed. He set up a, chance, a one-on-one for Jordi Alba, was missed. Missed the chance himself. Set up Coutinho as well, I think, for his chance that was saved by Alisson. Yeah, he, he did what he needed to do. But the problem is, when you've got him, he doesn't run. Suarez is no longer is no longer running. He used to, but he doesn't anymore. And you've got like a midfielder, a controlling midfielder like Busquets. He's really good at controlling, dictating, but not too good when you're on the back foot, especially after he's got a yellow card, which he had last night. Then it's like, okay, who... Whose job is it to get the ball back in this team? Yeah, you, you, you've got you've got someone like Coutinho who's got so much ability, but like he's he's kind of being forced into a role which 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 focuses on his weaknesses. And now people are turning around, pointing the finger at him, saying, "You know, you don't have the character." You know, well, no, the team actually doesn't fit me. He's probably a player they shouldn't have signed. But the, the the analysis of why he's been bad is so stupid. I mean, you do hope that there's someone at Barcelona with a better idea of what's actually wrong with their team or where the weaknesses are in their team than the journalists who reckon it's just because Coutinho's got a budgie heart. Yeah, I mean, there's a thing about Coutinho which plays into a thing that we speak about quite a lot on the podcast, which is that how sometimes selling what is perceived to be or who is perceived to be your best player Mm. can actually unlock a load of other real positives within a team. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Liverpool seem to really step up after Coutinho left because they absorb so much of the attention or the or they demand the ball so much that actually it negates a lot of the qualities from other people on the pitch even though they may not be you know on FIFA they might not be rated as highly for example are you talking about Henderson oh absolutely (laughs) you know like Jordan Henderson has come alive since Coutinho left Liverpool had a run of players who were there they're real stars, if you like, and it was not a one-man team, but they really were heavily reliant on them. You had Suarez, and then you had Coutinho, and then actually now it became Salah a little bit last season, but it was way more of a collective than it had ever been. And I think that just mm-hmm. suits Klopp's management style so much. I think it's really hard for Klopp to have one guy who is so clearly maybe a superstar compared to the rest of the team. Yeah. And switching it slightly, I kind of threw a tweet out casually last night just saying... You know, Frankie Dong is going to walk into that Barcelona midfield. Oh, absolutely. Because he has... He'd be their best midfielder. Yeah, because he has the skill set that they are so desperately needing in terms of he can play anywhere on the pitch or get the ball anywhere on the pitch. He's really dynamic. He can dictate the tempo. He can play walking or he can play sprinting. And he also is really good at winning the ball back. Bush gets the season, I think, is... He's got a lot of miles on the clock for someone who's not even, what is he, 30? 30? Well, t- yeah, 30 or 31. But, you know, Busquets has always been like a lanky stick. Like, he, he, he's, not, he's, he's never been a physical player in the sense of running around. He's, he's slow. He, he's always been slow. He's still slow. He's even slower, sure. And that wasn't a problem when Busquets was playing in midfield with Xavi and Iniesta, who are like marathon runners. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, you know, 12, 12 kilometers a game type of players. Yeah. Iniesta as well. Uh, Iniesta as well as Xavi. This, they were covered so much ground. They're so mobile. You remember when Barcelona were great, they were running the other team off the field. Mm. As well as, as well as passing them off the field, they were moving them off the field. Yeah. And they, they you know, they, 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 you can't keep up with a player like Xavi. You can't keep up with Iniesta. But, you know, Busquets was able to play to his strengths, which are controlling the play, feeding it to your teammates, timing your pass as well, and being in the right position to cut off an angle for a counterattack. That's basically his whole game. Mm. You know, and, and he's brilliant at it. There's so many subtle, br- subtle brilliancies to his game. And even last week against Liverpool, um, if, you, if you look at Busquets' highlights from the game in, at the Camp Nou, there's some moments of absolute brilliance, yeah. you know, just which he does so casually that you almost wouldn't even notice him doing it if when you're, when you're watching it in real time. But when he's exposed in a game like this where people are running past him, you know, and he's not getting any help from the players in front of him, you know, Messi's standing there, Suarez is standing there, Coutinho is trying to get involved, but like can't, you know, it's mm. it, okay. He, he's, he's being overrun, literally being swarmed and overrun and being made to look bad. That's when everyone turns around and says, Oh, Busquets, he's over the hill. He's past it. He's not over the hill. He could continue playing the same way that he has done throughout his career for, I think, at least another three seasons, but he needs to have some runners in the team with him. Yeah. Because that's, you know, you can't, you can't, you, ultimately you can't, get by without that it's like football is about much more than running but it is basically about running <laughs> yeah definitely yeah yeah and also yeah. like just another thing you kind of looping it back to liverpool thing you saw the difference in what having a singular identity as a team as a club uh, as a squad how it can maximize players who may not be on the level of others you know barca are really struggling with their identity at the moment they're kind of transitioning a little bit with Liverpool it is so clearly focused now it feels like the most Klopp-esque Liverpool it's taken them three and a bit years to get there three and a half years looking forward can you see them winning it or if they don't win it does it really matter at the moment when do you see Liverpool kind of evolving to next or what's the process from here on well, they're in a position which which nobody could have expected when Klopp took the job because when under under Rogers it had been a disaster, and you know uh, it, 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 it obviously there had been a, a great season in the middle and then then it had all subsided and, and gone stagnant. Um, Mario Balotelli, you know all this kind of nonsense. But at the time, if you recall, uh, one one big theme of Rogers' last full season at Liverpool was, oh, this transfer committee, this transfer committee just doesn't know it's ours from its elbow. And, you know, you'd, you'd get these, it seemed as though maybe Rogers might have briefed uh, some of the stories or whatever, but like basically, one must pursue, give me the tools and I will do the job. <laughs> I think was it was a phrase that Rogers actually used at one point, you know, he didn't actually say I'm blaming my tools, but like, you know, everybody could, could understand the resonance of that as soon as they heard him say this. But what's happened since? Oh, it's, it's like almost every, every signing group Bill makes is it's like, it's an amazing signing. Have they made a bad signing since Jurgen Klopp arrived? Oh my God, it turns out the transfer committee suddenly got a lot better when Jurgen Klopp became the coach. Just to cut in there, sorry, there was actually something that I picked up on again in that very first press conference because he was asked about that. And Klopp actually said, uh, you know, the first word and the last word will be mine, but the two or three words in the middle can come from the committee. But, you know, if we're talking about good players, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and you know, well, I think what he like, for instance, he didn't want to sign Mo Salah. I mean, or not that he didn't want to sign Mo Salah, but the player he wanted to sign was Julian Brandt. Mm. And you know, he was like, "Oh, Brandt is good," but the, the Michael Edwards, the 
transfer guru at the moment. I mean, he, he's now an immensely popular figure uh, at Liverpool, like a cult figure uh, compared to when Rodgers was there. It was like, get this this four-eyed, you know, um, stats freak out of our club. You know, we need football people making football decisions. This transfer committee stuff is going nowhere. Suddenly you get in a coach who's prepared to actually work with the players, try and understand what they can bring and how they can maybe fit together into coherent structure, a coherent idea of what a team is about. As opposed to Rodgers, remember, who came in saying, oh, we're all about possession, the Barcelona game, then switch to like this counter-attacking uh, high-tempo game, then switch to like three at the back um, when he was sort of getting desperate in the third season. You know, you know, got rid of Andy Carroll as his first act and then decided to sign Christian Benteke a couple of seasons later. Whereas Klopp actually does have an idea in mind for how the team is going to play, which makes it easy to sign players for the team. You know yeah. what you're looking for. You've got specific jobs in mind for the players. You've got, you, you know exactly if, if you're signing someone, where are they going to fit in? Where are they going to fit into my formation? Which is more or less the same mm. the whole time. You know, he, he, he changes it a little bit, but like it's generally the same 4 3 3. You know what you're looking for in each position. So suddenly it turns out the transfer committee isn't completely incompetent, but it entirely has to do with how you work with the with the players on the field. I mean, if you're asking me, can they win the Champions League? Well, it's. I mean, I'd, I'd expect them to at this stage. You know, when you when you get to the final by that kind of a a route with that sort of a comeback to to beat a team like Barcelona, who yeah, for all their weaknesses, still have the best player in the world, and we're still expected by everybody to win, and we're inflicting order mauling in the previous match. Then you know, when you're going to the final against Ajax or Tottenham. You're thinking we can we can handle this. Yeah. You know, it's for the first time. I think Klopp is in is going to be in one of these finals, um, and it's and he's actually managing the favourites. So it's a different kind of pressure to deal with. But you know, they've got the the, the weird thing about it is is how much of a how much of a break there is between the last match and the actual games. Yeah. It's I think it's like three a three week break. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do in the three weeks. You'd wish it. I'm sure he wishes it was next week. Well, however long it takes for for the injured players to to be fit again. But like, um, it's going to be interesting to see how they. Uh, I mean, it's like a full training camp. It's almost. Yeah tournament length training camp they have for this one game but you'd imagine they're going to be ready at the end of it yeah I reckon we'll see some warm weather training photos coming out but um, I mean even if they don't win it I think that Liverpool are now back to a point where they've never had this combination in the modern era I don't think in terms of consistently getting to finals now competing for the Premier League mm. um, and also having a manager that any player would want to play for really yeah. And I think that that com- combination, because I think a lot of people maybe in the UK and Ireland maybe don't quite get how revered Liverpool are in Europe. People love Liverpool in Europe and the draw to go and play for Liverpool from someone like Julian Brandt, for example, will be absolutely massive. It's one of these historically legendary kind of almost mythical clubs for a lot of people in Europe. And now you've yeah. got someone like Klopp there as well. He is the best manager, I, I guess, that we could have hired. But there's no reason why this couldn't be done by another club because they haven't done this by spending. I mean, they had they have spent money, but it's interesting to see how much of it has been funded by player sales. Yeah. You know, in terms of net spend, isn't great. But what what does that tell you? It tells you like players play well at this team and command good fees when they leave. You know, Coutinho was like this oh, massively hot property. Barcelona couldn't wait to get their hands on them. They, they overpaid massively, as it turns out. But that's a function of the fact that the players are playing well and looking good in the team. Yeah. You know, you compare it to what's been happening at Manchester United for years, um, where, where players are signed 
and then just seem to decay and nobody wants nobody wants them. You can't get rid of them. You know, Liverpool had that situation, I think, for quite a long time. But under Klopp, everybody performs. He's mm. able to get performances out of everybody, even players who he doesn't really yeah, you know, you know, he doesn't really rate them that highly, or he's kind of waiting until he can get somebody better. But they still play well for it. Yeah, you know, he's got that. He's got that sort of ability, and that suddenly you can sell your players for more. And financially, things start to look a lot easier. You don't actually have to have as much money as Manchester City to compete with Manchester City. No, you just need to have enough money, and they're at the point where they've got enough. And they're obviously paying some high wages. I mean, one significant statistic about them is they did they they now have the second biggest or according to all the most recent financial figures the second biggest wage bill in english football after manchester united so uh, so they're actually paying the players more than city which which reflects i think the fact that they've made huge recent signings allison van dyke new contracts for salah firmino and mane which are kind of fairly re- so recently they've had this big inflation they've obviously decided this is a calculated risk we're going to do this and we think we can put together a team that can actually win. And once your team is actually is winning, like you get to the second Champions League final in a row. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, that you, you're the team that people want to play for now. Yeah. So it's like, it's, there's a stickiness to it. Like, like in terms of, say, if, if Barcelona came and were like, uh, oh, uh, Andy Robinson, uh, Andy Robinson, we like to, we like you to look at you. Maybe you'll come and play for us. Robinson wouldn't go. Well, I mean, he, okay, he might go. <laughs> you know, you do get that that feeling that, like, um, for the for the last ten years, you know, it's been Alonso, Mascherano, Torres, you know, Coutinho, Suarez, like the star players. Once somebody came, once once a, a big European team came and said, "Oh, come and play for us," that they they would want to go. Yeah. And and now, when I look at the Super team, I kind of think, oh, they they would probably want to to stick where they are. I mean, it helps if, you, if, if if Liverpool also can pay you not quite Barcelona money, but like getting there. Yeah, you know, like two 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 hundred thousand pounds a week plus. I mean, they nobody was getting paid that at Liverpool a few years ago. So that is so, so the money is kind of the basic thing that keeps your players there. But I think that the fact of being part of of a team that's doing these kinds of things is is a huge draw for for players as well. So I mean. Yeah, it's Looking great. Good. It's it's a great position. It's a great position that they're in, and uh, you know they should really enjoy it while it lasts because the, <laughs> these <laughs> these things never do. But but at the moment, um, this is this is pretty much as good as it gets. Cool, right, Ken? Thanks so much for joining us. We're going to leave it there because uh, we've taken up far too much of your time. But um, yeah, all good for Liverpool fans. So. Enjoy it while it lasts. The words of Ken Early. Uh, you can find Ken on the Second Captains and on the Irish Times. Ken, thanks for joining us again, man. Thanks, Ryan. I mentioned many, many thanks to Ken for joining us at such short notice. You can find him on Twitter at Ken Early's. And we're going to leave it there for this bonus edition. Just a couple of things before we go. If you want to get in touch, you can email us hello at rabonamag.com and find us on all social media channels at rabonamag. I will be at Valencia Arsenal on Thursday night and Michael will be at Chelsea against Eintracht Frankfurt. If you want to keep up to date with stuff going on at those games, you can follow Michael on Twitter at MJDeSilva and me at BadGoalRyRy. Musa and I will be back on Monday. So until then, many thanks for listening and we will chat to you then. Hold up. 